You are listening to the Big Tree Mind podcast with Lana Lantos. On today's episode, Celeste Kirsch and I talk about nourishing imagination and confidence in children and adults and how the process of writing can change the world. Celeste Kirsch is a school teacher. She's the host of the most excellent podcast called Teaching Tomorrow, and she's currently finishing her PhD at OISE. I spoke to Celeste about her journey with writing and also what she notices about writing within the school system. We also talk about how writing supports our own experience of understanding and knowing ourselves. I hope that you take a listen to this episode and that you take a moment to notice what kind of role does writing have in your own life. Thank you so much for making time to speak to me about your work. I've, I've been so unbelievably inspired by the Teaching Tomorrow podcast and all the work that you're doing. And I'm, I'm so happy that you could be here today. If you could tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Well, first, I just want to say, like, the, the love is mutual, my friend. It's so good to be able to chat with you and get to know you in this different light. We've known each other for many years in many different ways, so it's cool to get to be reconnected with you today. My name is Celeste Kirsch. I use she, her pronouns. I live in Toronto. I'm from Belleville, Ontario. I do many things. I, like today, like most days, I'm reading and writing a ton. I'm a first-year PhD student at OISE, the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education, which is part of the University of Toronto. I've been a classroom teacher for 11 years, mostly teaching English and social studies. I am a mom. I am a wife. I love to run and to do things with my body. Uh, and I host the podcast, like you mentioned, Teaching Tomorrow. I like to talk to people. <laughs> I like to talk to people about teaching and education and the world. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. The thing that really stood out to me as I listened to many of your episodes is your love for writing. And it made me think about how you got to this place where you felt like writing was such an important part of your life, of your personal sort of practice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's start there. Oh, my God. Like, if we were to jump into a time machine and, like, take us back to little Celeste. Um, I feel like writing for me was the, the way that I got to know myself, the way that I figured out who I was. You know, I grew up in a really stressful household and there was like a lot of stuff happening. You know, like I didn't have the tools to understand and I didn't have the tools to be able to unpack. And I just remember like as a little kid, like at one point my dad, I have an older sister and my dad was talking to my sister about writing in a diary and he has a Scottish accent. So the way he said it, I didn't understand it. I'm like, what is that? And then he's like, it's a like a journal, like a thing that you write your ideas in. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. Just the way that you were pronouncing it, I didn't, he, I didn't understand it. But that was like the first time that I was introduced to this concept of like writing your feelings down on paper and that that was something that you could do. And I, I think like very soon after that, I got my hands on a diary like one of those ones like a little lock that you like have like this little tiny lock I would hide it in my room and like I recently refound that diary and it's mostly just like me writing about like 
my sister did this to me and it made me so mad. Or like, my teacher said this and like, this is the boy I have a crush on. But like that process of just like writing my life in journals, like continued like almost obsessively when I got into middle years and high school, like I would just like write like I didn't like I didn't have a therapist. I grew up in the 80s and therapy was really stigmatized at that time. And I think that it was for me a way to replace talking to somebody. Like I actually named my diary Aaron because I like I had like two friends. And so like it turned into my diary was like my third friend. And I would just figure out what does it mean to be a human by doing this as a young girl. And then that turned into writing stories. Like, then I started not just writing my life. I started inventing a life. Like, I don't know if you remember that point where as a young person and people listening, like, I don't know if this is just me, but that point where you're falling asleep at night and you're old enough that you realize that you can start, like, inventing stories in your head. Yes, you're nodding. Like, it's not just me. And, like, you're like, I can invent entire stories. And I was maybe, like, nine or so, and my I was, like, the moment I stopped fighting my parents to go to bed and I would just lay in bed and invent all these realities and later that turned into writing stories but then as I grew up I like stopped identifying as a writer because I was writing essays and I was like doing all this like really intense schoolwork and I didn't have time for writing fun creative stories so I stopped seeing myself as a writer and like And yet I was still writing a ton. Like I was writing and I was like doing things. And like writing was the vehicle that took me forward in my life. Like it was the thing that got me scholarship money when I couldn't afford to go to university. Writing was the thing that got me to get to go to university. Like I was an English and a drama kid through and through. And words and language and expressing myself is how I was able to like be the first person in my family to go to university. And I think it was only when I started teaching writing to students as a middle school teacher that I started realizing oh, I'm a writer too. Like I'm teaching you how to identify as a writer. So why am I not identifying as a writer? And just because I'm not writing books professionally doesn't make me not a writer. Like I'm writing all day. I'm writing these thoughtfully crafted emails to parents. I'm writing report card comments that are trying to capture the essence of what you've learned this year. I'm writing these blog posts and then it turned into podcast episodes. So It was a bit of a journey to come back to myself to see, I've always been a writer. I've always used words to do this, and it's never really gone away. It's just the way that I see myself has changed. One of the bigger pieces for me in part of the podcast where you say that on average, students are writing about 20 minutes a day in school. Across all of their subjects, like they get in, nine o'clock, they leave at 3.30 and it's like 20 minutes of writing. I mean, and that's like the study is not like looking at like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of teachers. So I should contextualize that statement to say like, this is a study that found this, but I don't think it's that shocking. Like, I think that a classroom teacher hearing that, many people would be like, yeah, I, I could see that. Writing is such a huge part of my life and I write every morning. I also was developing these stories in my head as I was falling asleep at a very young age and trying to figure out what is this, like, where am I? Like, what is this world about? And writing really helps me land in what's actually true for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like the business of school sometimes makes that really hard. You know, I don't know if you were a reader when you were growing up, but I really loved reading. Like I could just sit and read for the entire day sometimes. But I really would like resist the books that my teachers would make us all read together. Like I would still read them, but I wouldn't love them as much as when I got to pick out my books. And I think about that as writers too. Like teachers have certain responsibilities to teach, you know, not the curriculum, but to be responsible to curriculum documents and to provide assessment and to do report cards. And sometimes that really can suck the joy out of writing when you're like, I need to give you a mark or I need to teach you how to combine two sentences into one. There's very little joy in that unless we're, you know, really reimagining how we teach writing in schools to have more student voice and practice-based writing and process-based writing and writing that is just silly and fun and something that the child chooses. There has to be a reading practice outside of school, and I think that there has to be a writing practice outside of school. Like, many adults understand that, like, you know, you should be giving your kids books, or you should be reading beside them in bed at night, or you should be modeling reading as an adult around your young people. But do we do that also with writing? Do we also, you know, give our kids a diary and say, we're all just going to be writing right now. Like, let's go have family writing time. Like, what would that be like? You know, I, I think... We can't just expect writing to happen in schools, and certainly not right now. In this pandemic era of schooling, there's so many things that are happening, and there's so many competing challenges to just having you know, the basic academic things occurring during the nine to three school day, that it can be really tricky to embed all of the things into the school day. So what as parents and what do we as adults in the world have a responsibility to do to help young people see themselves as writers, see themselves as, you know, active participants in understanding themselves? Because you're right, like, like you're saying, like you write and you push up against what you're saying, like writing is like a mirror and like you never really know what you're thinking entirely until you can like process it. At least that's how I feel about my words. Like when I'm writing an essay, the first draft is just my initial like, okay, what am I trying to say about this? And then and then once I see it on the screen, then I can really understand what do I think and how do I shape that? And you spoke about this in your episode, I think it was episode 69, where you talk about that writing is not linear. Yeah. And, yeah. and that it takes time to sort of be in different stages and to help develop different stages of writing and to actually support different kids in, in different stages of their writing. And the thing that is coming up for me right now, it's, it's like the sense of like, there's a curriculum and there's a way that teachers are expected to do things. And then the, there's this like deep desire to be kind of like in a sandbox. Like, I want to be in a sandbox with you, you know, like I, I want to play. I want, you know, to give me something to work with. And then for me to work on that and to help myself like kind of develop that thought and to have that kind of awkward beginning with myself in that process. You actually name what that is. I think you said it was called like the workshop. Yeah, I think. You know, just to kind of reference, so the writing workshop is something that I've learned from Nancy Atwell, and she learned it from Donald Graves. And these are teacher practitioner researchers who are working in classrooms, but are also researchers. Um, they're coming out of like the 1970s. So there's, they're looking at this kind of like 
rigid way of teaching writing and seeing this is not working for young people. So let's make writing instruction much more about writing and just let children write. And then we can teach them the skills through what they're working on and through their writing. I try to think of like analogies in other realms. And I think like, like if we were to be dancers, there is merit in learning the choreography of somebody else's dance. You know, you learn something by getting a song, learning somebody else's moves to it. You develop a repertoire. There's also benefit in turning on music at full blast, closing your eyes, turning the lights off, and just moving your body and seeing how your body wants to move. There's also benefit in strengthening your muscles individually and doing, you know, core work and yoga and Pilates to open up different muscle areas that you don't normally work with to be able to do other things better and to have a wider range. There's also benefit in just sitting back and watching other people dance to get inspiration. And all of these things kind of come through into like a writing workshop. Like there is benefit in just writing whatever is on your head in like a free write. There's benefit in learning somebody else's style and genre and trying to emulate a great poet and what they do by mimicking their style and mimicking their form. There is benefit in just straight up being taught the mechanics of a sentence and like knowing where the comma goes and how do you join two thoughts together in one sentence. And I think we've been tripped up by writing instruction by thinking that it's only one way. Like we only learn by emulating different genres or we only learn by this kind of free-flowing process approach. And you know, like what I love about Nancy Atwell and the way that she's looked at it is that it's it's all of those things. It's these mini lessons. It's these, you know, wide allowances for children to write what they're inspired to write about. It's also like studying grammar structures. It's studying spelling, but it's within this kind of, like I love the image that you created of a sandbox, but it is a big ass sandbox. And this sandbox includes many different areas to be playing within, but it's all based on, it's all based on play at the end of the day and like serving the ultimate purpose of writing, which, you know, I think it's self-actualization. Like why do we have writing as human beings? It's to express, to communicate, and to design other future possibilities. That is so beautifully said. I have so much energy from just hearing <laughs> hearing that. I'm wondering about your dedicated process and how you support yourself in the process of writing, in the process of creating, in the process of working on your podcasts and your PhD and what that might look like. Yeah, it really depends on my audience. I didn't really know this about my creative process or about any creative process until I would say like within the last couple of years as a writer. Like I think that when I was a young person growing up and engaging in all of the writing that I was doing, I was never considering audience because all of my audience was either me or my teacher. You know, like I very rarely put stuff out in the world as a young person that wasn't just for my teacher or, you know, in my personal diary. So depending on who my audience is, really shapes the process that I take around, you know, creation. I'm in knee deep right now with like four essays for my PhD right now. So that seems really fresh in my mind. And I can speak more to that right now really clearly. The process 
is really like it's really pretty simple. Like I think about different parts of myself and calling those parts of myself forward at different stages of the process. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with parts therapy. We talk about therapy stuff often in my house, like my wife being a psychotherapist. And I think like, I don't know a lot about parts therapy, but I think like we've talked a little bit about it with even with our child and there's different parts of us that come out at different times. So the first version of Celeste that comes to the table when I'm working on a piece of writing is the planner. And, you know, like my hair is back in a ponytail. I am no nonsense. I've got my glasses on. I've got like tons of notebooks out on the table. And the planner Celeste is going over all of my notes that I've taken, making a detailed plan about all of the little disparate pieces that I want to include in this piece of writing. The quotes, the key ideas, like where do those pages come from? So like the planner has the big picture in mind. I know why I'm writing. I know who my audience is. I've got all of my like little parts. And I literally, Lana, I have to stop that version of myself, get up and go away before I can welcome the next part of myself to the table. So you know, like I was just working on this paper for my Indigenous Methodologies course, and I started my day as the planner. It was like 5 a.m. when I woke up with my coffee. And my kids got up at 6, so like the planner version of me was done by 6. And then I like did something completely different. Like you, I can't transition that fast from one version of myself to the next. So you know, I get my kids ready for school. I have like my second cup of coffee. I drive them to school and daycare. And then I took a run. And it was like the run, after the run, I literally came right in. I didn't even take off my sweaty clothes. I sat down. And like, as I was running, I was mulling over all the things that Planner Celeste had written down. And I was like, what is the story that I want to tell with this? So as I was running, I was like picturing the anecdotal story that I wanted to open up the paper with. So the runner, the and sometimes this is yoga, sometimes it's going for a walk, but the runner in me was also writing. And she was thinking about, okay, well, what is the, what is the moment for my life that I want to use to start this essay? What is the prologue? And like, what is the chapter from life. And the second I got in the door, I sat down at the computer and then it was like a, a switch was flipped and then I was creative Celeste. And creative Celeste like has she lit I literally have wild hair. Um sometimes I'm writing with a glass of wine. At this point it was like 10 in the morning so I was not. And here I am like in a free flowing state and it's probably more important to say like what version of Celeste is not at that table at this moment because the creative me is also the absence of the critical Celeste. And critical Celeste is like, you know, she comes in next, but critical Celeste just like friggin' wants to get in there and wants to take over. And I have to actively like hold her back while I am writing because she wants to correct. She wants to go back. She wants to make it perfect. And Creative Celeste just needs to like find the connections. She just needs to look at the plan that the previous version of me put down and figure out how to say it. And like it doesn't even need to sound good yet because Creative Celeste is just all about like generation, just all about putting stuff out there regardless if it's good or not.
And then after, like if you feel like if you're in that state, you know when that state dries up. It's like your your knees get achy, you get itchy, you start wanting to scroll on Instagram. And like after like an hour, an hour and a half, I need to like go clean and like go take the last little bits of that energy into something else. When I'm writing, my house is usually pretty clean because I'm like needing to get up and clean the bathroom. No, go fold some laundry. So it's like these moments of intense sitting because I write when I sit, has to be interspersed with movement. Folding laundry is great. Um, Walking the dog, running, yoga. Um, And then Critical Celeste comes in. And it, like, I actually have to have a few days before Critical Celeste can come back into a work because she can be so effing harsh on what she's reading and it can, like, shut down the whole process pretty fast. So I'll leave that piece of work for a couple of days depending on when the deadline is. It's interesting because I've had my students before come back to a piece of writing after several months. And it's like they're a completely different version of themselves when they go back after letting it sit for a while. And they see things about their writing that they love, that they didn't know were special until later, and that they can now see that they want to change that like they didn't know were a problem three months ago. So Critical Celeste comes in and she's the one that's like, this doesn't make sense, or you need to start this with a different opening, or these two ideas don't flow. And so she's just like, not editing the commas so much as editing like structure and organization and flow of ideas. And is there a different way to say this sentence? And then not so long after that, it's like the collaborative Celeste. And this Celeste needs to be in relationship with other people. I need to have my writing friends. I need to have other people look at it and This is when I know it's not perfect, but it needs another friend to look at this. So the social Celeste, the friend Celeste is like sending it to other students or to my wife or to my mother-in-law and having them share back and reflect back what they see about that piece of writing. And only at the very last stage does like editor Celeste show up, which is also my mother-in-law often and like going through and finding where the comma splice is, like what are the missing words, like this word doesn't make sense here. And it's fascinating to me because I thought that the writing process was more about like different stages. And for me, I've like really noticed that it's more about different personas and different versions of myself, different parts of myself that show up. And what do I need to nurture and take care of those parts of myself? Because while those parts are attached to stages, it's also knowing what parts are not welcome in different stages too. Have you have you ever thought about this before? Like, have you ever had so much clarity about this? I think it's honestly, Lana, because I've been writing so much now. Like, I think that this has been the greatest gift of doing this degree is because I'm writing at a volume that I was not doing last year. And the writing is really different. And like, on top of that, I'm also making the podcast and the writing for that is really different. Like, it's very, it's much more formulaic, it feels, because it's like, here's my intro and I sound sort of the same each time. And here are my questions. Like, it feels more like research, but when I'm like when I'm really in something, like when I was marathon training or when I was like doing silent retreats, like when you really fully immerse yourself in something, that's when you really start noticing the shape that it is in your life and the edges that it takes up, kind of like you were saying when you're writing that, yeah, I don't think that I really would have noticed 
how I needed to be in different states until I was like actually really doing it to this degree. I feel honored that I got to hear about this process and I feel like it has brought so much clarity. I'm sometimes working on my critical part as well and I never thought about it this way that maybe the critical part can be helpful and it can teach me something but maybe it's not necessary that the critical part is here right now. Maybe I can make space for it at like some other part of the process and that feels really kind of freeing. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah, I think it like, it, I think it's helpful. You know, I don't meditate very often now, but I think it's helpful to have had a meditation practice before because we have just like that tiny little hair of space between thought and self. And so I can actually see critical thoughts like not as truth and not as real it's just like a thought that is coming up like when you're sitting on your cushion you the ideal it doesn't always happen we get trapped as well but like you see a thought coming in and it's like oh there's a thought again okay and like allow it to go away which is you know it's the same thing when you get into a flow state writing it's like you see that critical thought of like you suck you shouldn't be in this program and you can like just take a second with that thought and say like okay no thank you you can come back later but we're okay right now that for me is really shifted something. Like I wouldn't say that I'm like a better writer because of it, but I think I'm able to write more. And I don't think that the point, I, I did a solo episode a little while ago, I think it was titled something like, you don't have to be a genius to do a PhD. It's really just about doing the work. Like, you know, when you, you don't have to do a lot to run a marathon, you just put one foot in front of the other. And I think that about a PhD right now, like I haven't finished it, so might have different thoughts like on the other end, but it really does seem right now like it's just about doing the work and getting the words through in a way that is helpful. And a lot of that work is allowing the words to come through and not stopping yourself from letting that happen. In a recent interview with Mike Hulbloom, who you also oh, I know. love him. Yeah. Yeah, so, and just to give a little bit of context, Celeste and I have known each other for a long time, um, for maybe over 10 years or so, because we used to meditate in the same community together. And but before that, I knew you from Moksha days. I've known you since those earlier days. You see, this is like a part of my, it, it has completely left my, that part has I know. completely left my brain. I know, me too, wow. in some ways. And then I'll have these moments where I'm like, like, how do I know you again? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know you from this thing as well. It's like just, it's like, yeah, it feels like a big piece of history that has shaped so much of me and yet just sort of feels like the wallpaper of my life. Wow. Yeah, I'm like, so much is coming back in this moment. And I, I'm now thinking about, actually, I, I'm thinking about your first episode where where you talk about awkward beginnings <laughs> yes number one I love that and and it's so great because there's also something that you're sort of saying that you you don't have to be perfect to be good and and that in you in some ways you have to just do the work you have to do a lot of work like you know that quote by Ira Glass you just yeah. you just have to do a lot of work and Mike was saying that while he's making a film, he's also making kind of like a sub film 
like all the pieces that get cut out, all the pieces that he doesn't want people to see, all the pieces that he doesn't want to show. And that the way that he makes films is sort of like a painter that when he goes in, no matter what the mood is, if he's in a good mood or a bad mood or sad or happy, he goes in, he eats his food, and he goes and he makes films. I, I find that so comforting and so sweet that we don't have to have so much judgment around how to do things, that it's important just to start somewhere. And I, I heard the same message from you. Yeah, I feel like I've been thinking that a lot about the podcast and like we've been talking about podcasting and just putting yourself out there in the world. And I think that we are our own worst critics when it comes to producing anything. And when I realized that most people are not criticizing my work the way that I'm criticizing my work, it kind of freed me up a little bit to realize that that that's the thing to put stuff out there and like i i consume things that people put out there and i'm not like overly nitpicky on you know the things that they could have done or the different aspects that they could have changed like i look at mike's work or i look at you know anyone's like writing that they're doing and i'm like wow you're like you're you're making stuff you're putting stuff out there in the world and i think that it's important just to be in action and to not let our own inner critics, or even like we do receive criticism sometimes, like we do put ourselves out there. And I have had things come back to me about stuff I've put out there. And it, I don't know, like, I, it's like such a practice of realizing that they're not saying you're a bad person and they're not saying you suck at life. Like, I think that we have these, maybe it comes back to the way that like we got feedback as students in school. If I don't get a perfect mark on this, I'm not a good human. And we really need to like demystify that because even when we do get not glowing feedback about some of the like shit nuggets that we put out there in the world that's what makes us better and if we don't engage with that and if we don't consider it and welcome it in we never get to the next level we never get to be even better versions of us like I've never written a novel but I've written like 800 amazing novels in my head, but no one's read them and they will never get better because I will keep them in my brain. But if I ever do write a novel, I hope that it sucks and that I can write a second awesome novel and then a third incredible novel. Like, I don't know. Did you ever watch Tick, Tick, Boom, the Netflix thing about Jonathan Larson? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And I love it like just as like a masterclass in the artist's life and tick tick boom was jonathan larson who created rent that is like you know this crazy mega sensational broadway musical and his first musical was very good and it did not you know get the claim that rent got and at the end of like this huge thing that he poured his life and his heart into he was like talking to like his agent or one of his mentors and he's like okay i did it it's so good it's out there everyone loved it like Am I going to get on Broadway with this thing? And they're like, no, you're, you're going to make your next musical. That's all you're going to do. So like, and he wouldn't have made Rent if he didn't, you know, make this other thing first. So like, we don't know what's in store for us. You don't know where your podcast is going to take you. I don't know where this PhD is going to take me. I don't know even if I put out an episode on my podcast, if it's going to even like get people to listen to it. But we never know until we just 
put it out into the world. And like we have so many more tools now with the internet and like podcasts and blogs and social media to share that we didn't have even 10 years ago. And I just think that like we're fools for not playing with them and using them in a mindful and responsible way to make our next best thing. Like That should just be what it's all about, like to just play and be in that sandbox and not worry about how many likes it gets or if you're making money off of it. That's not the point. The point is that it helps us get to know ourselves better and helps other people get to know themselves better. Like that's the whole point, I think. Yeah, and you speak so clearly about that, that all, all of this stuff, the writing, the ability to publish something is a part of social discourse. And yeah. it's, a, it's a part of how we can understand each other and how we can communicate with each other. And that's what we should be helping young people do in schools is to just, you know, engage with that. Like the point of writing is not to get a good mark. I hope that you know, as we get better as teachers and educators, we can start seeing that the point of writing is to change the world. Like it's not even, you know, I think as a young teacher, I thought like, oh, I, I will be crushing it if every one of my assignments is like publishable. And like, you know, they're publishing in a newspaper, they're publishing in a blog. It's like, that's good. It's not just a teacher audience, but that, you know, we should really be working towards all of our writing, all of our work is to try to make people happier or try to change the way we see things or try to bring people closer together. Like it should be about rewriting the world to be better. That should be it. I, totally. I'm, I'm like, I'm so down for uh, slow learning and learning how to listen, learning how to understand other people and even learning how to articulate what I really mean to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that to me, there's nothing really much more fun to me than what happens between us, what happens between people when they're able to communicate with each other and to peacefully connect or, you know, maybe sometimes the peacefulness doesn't happen, but that at least that there's some conversation that happens that helps us get to the bottom of something, that pulls something up to the surface. The whole thing behind this podcast, you know, I, I made many notes about why I'm doing the podcast. For me, it's really about community practice and learning how to listen to each other, learning how to be present with each other, and to really learn about other people and how they do things. And what I felt from you was like that the podcast is like totally your diary it's like yeah. it's an extension of the diary that you've had since you were little and it's just taken this like other more public form and that to me is like so sweet that's really nice to hear that reflected back and I don't think that I would have necessarily made that connection myself because I feel so much more comfortable you know, talking to somebody else about their work, you know, like, and there, I think there's a reason why I wasn't starting with a solo podcast, just talking about myself and my own ideas. And I've like sprinkled in a few solo episodes as the years have gone on. But yeah, even though I am like in one-on-one -on -one conversation and interviewing people in the world of education, it's also about me. Like, and if you listen to all of the episodes, like I am part of that conversation and my own reflections and 
understandings of the world are part of it. And there's like some cringy things that I've said, just like cringy things that I say in my diary where I look back and I listen and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have said it like that now. Or, oh, I don't think I agree with that statement now. But it's a living document. Like it's a living collection of how I am understanding the world. And I think that it's important that more of us do this kind of work where we're reflecting in the open. I think if more of us had this kind of a, whether it's a blog or through social media or through TikTok or through podcasting, like find your way, find the way that feels the most comfortable for you to share pieces of you in like a responsible way. Like we don't have to like be broadcasting every aspect of ourselves, but I think we have a lot to learn from each other. I think that we can be sharing more vulnerably because that's how we, like that's how we learn ourselves. That's how we learn ourselves through other people. And I'm sure that you find this too as you interview people on your show. In the process of talking to other people about their work, you learn about yourself. Like it's it's really magical experience that I feel so lucky that like we get to live now at this time with all of these things available to us to get to play with. For me, it's really helpful to see how other people do things and and to just, you know, I was when I was I was telling my partner about you and about my thoughts about, you know, the interview and like what I would like to work on. And the thing that I really got out of listening to your podcast was that, hey, like you can have a good time with something. Like even if it's difficult, it doesn't mean that it's it's not fun. Even if you get scared, it doesn't mean that it's it's not going to work out. You just can try things. And there was this like excitement and fun energy coming for it. And so, you know, before even getting here, I've already gotten a gift Hmm. because I took a risk to listen to something and to get to know someone and through their expression of self, right? And to me, I mean, in every one of the podcast episodes that I've recorded so far, I've said the same thing, which is that one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because I feel like people are really buzzing and nervous systems are really buzzing and that there's some difficulty around connecting to other people and connecting to ourselves. Mm. Because of all of this buzzing and this kind of elevated energy and that I really want to create work with people who are tracking and paying attention to how the work that they're doing is impacting them, how it's impacting other people. Like, I I want to have fun in that way. And so that's why you're here. And I'm really (laughs) super (laughs) grateful to you. It's interesting, like, kind of adjacent to what you're naming, like the idea of it's hard to connect with other people. I mean, like coming out of like these rolling lockdowns, like my social circle has really narrowed in the last two years. And the amount of in-person conversations I've had is really limited. And I don't know about you, but I found that I'm listening to a lot of podcasts in general, like just because I'll be like out walking with the kids and I can have something in my ears while I'm pushing the stroller or I'm walking the dog or I'm finding a lot of like bizarre comfort in listening in on other people's conversations. And that it it's almost like reminding me 
of how to have these kinds of conversations when we're allowed to join back together in people's homes, for example. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit of, like, I'm, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm not super socially awkward, but sometimes I'm very socially awkward. And sometimes I literally have to, like, think about the things that I want to talk to my actual friends about. Like, like okay, mm. I'm going to hang out with this person. We're going to get together. Like, what are the, like, three or four things that I really oh. want to make sure I talk to them about? Wow. And I don't know if this is just, like, me not being around people very much or if this is just me, you know, adopting this identity of, like, interviewer to a ridiculous degree. Like, I'm curious for people listening to reach out and share if they've had this experience in the, like, pandemic shifting of social identities. Because it's almost like when I'm listening to, like, Brene Brown interview somebody, I'm, like, studying how to have good conversations with my actual friends, not just as a podcast host, and that there's something really comforting about learning how to be present with another person through the art of a good conversation. And I don't know if this is exactly what you were talking to, but it just yeah. kind of made me think about how cool it is to be a listener on conversations and to, you like, Obviously, there's tons of terrible podcast interviews out there, but the really good ones where people are arriving at new understandings by the give and take of a really beautiful, artful conversation. You know, we didn't have that ability even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, before podcasts were really commonly used and available. Like most of the other kinds of conversations we'd have access to in like old media would be like very scripted TV show or movie things that, you know, they felt real, but they're not real like you and I right now on these microphones. Like we're just making this up as we go. And there's something really magical about that. The feeling that I get from what you're saying is the feeling that I got when I first started practicing at Center of Gravity. It was the sense of whoa, are these people just relaxed and just <laughs> talking to each other in some sort of way that was completely unfamiliar to me? Like, mm -hmm. it was inf unfamiliar in the sense that there, was, there were a lot of conversations about certain, you know, Buddhist concepts like death and grief and pain and... No one was trying to make that better. And people still brought food and talked to each other about these really difficult things. And I just didn't know what that was because that, mm -hmm. that wasn't really how I grew up. I didn't grow up in that kind of way. And I think I do know what you mean. I recently listened to a Brene Brown interview and she just seemed so excited about who she was in the world and was mm -hmm. speaking in a way that was just like this is who I am like this is how I am this is just what what I'm bringing forth and it felt freeing and you know it's like taking off the mask it's like you know what Glennon talks about like when people are just like wearing their masks around in public I think that that's how a lot of the conversations have been that I've both been participating in and observed growing up and if they're scripted on TV or if they're like these kind of formulaic things like I would listen to on CBC as a kid, it's not quite the same thing as when people take off their masks and have these kinds of real vulnerable, emotional 
and very honest conversations. And I, I agree with you, like center of gravity when I was there really felt like that. Like people were allowed to be human and messy and imperfect. And there were these like really feels like important conversations that would happen that you would only really tap into like once a week. And that's why I think people kept on coming back and loved working with Michael so much because it was really permission to be human. Right. <laughs> right. I feel like so much of my, so much of my growing up has, um, has happened through these little decisions that I've made, you know, the decision to do yoga, the decision to be in community, you know, and, and I'm really uh, grateful that I, I followed these little steps. So thank you for remembering and bringing me back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this has been like really great for me too, to kind of have that held up as a mirror too, to kind of see how those little threads, because it's, I mean, it, I think it's really cool that I've known you in these kinds of like peripheral ways. Like, you know, I wasn't like, hanging out with you but I knew you I knew of you I knew of your work and to like obviously we have these like really similar things that have like shot up from the dirt between the two of us like I, I can see how the things that you're interested in are kind of like linked under the soil with some of the things that I'm interested in and I don't think that that's like a coincidence I can see how like there's been stuff germinating on both of our ends that kind of makes sense. So I'm like, oh yeah, you're cool. I like you. I like the stuff that you're into. <laughs> and it's nice to feel like, you know, you see some of that in some of the stuff that I'm putting out there and that like we can mutually appreciate each other. Thank you, Celeste. Thank you for being here today. I, uh, I'm hoping that you could just tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast and what you're working on next and how they can find you. Yeah, I feel like I'm hanging out mostly on Instagram. If you find me on the social media world, it's at teaching underscore tomorrow. I also do things occasionally on Twitter. Twitter is at teach underscore tomorrow. And the podcast is teaching tomorrow. You can just search for that wherever podcasts can be found. And like things that I'm working on, I'm working on just like finishing this PhD. I've got like a few more courses left and then hopefully start a project next year and then write the year after. So we'll see. My my goal is to finish it within four years and then to shift into something different. Um, we'll see. That just feels like the biggest project <laughs> ever that I'm working on. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope that we continue to have these great conversations. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you for inviting me on. If you haven't already, please feel free to check out my current offerings at BigTreeMind.com and my psychotherapy practice information at LanaLantos.com. 